Welcome to the Doing Cool Things podcast, a career podcast brought to you by the Knowlton Center for Career Exploration. I'm your host, David Snyder. Thank you for joining today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Doing Cool Things podcast. I'm David Snyder. I am joined today by a 2014 grad of Denison University with Bachelor of Arts in Communication and Women's Studies. She is, uh, as far as my notes go, she took part in everything on campus while she was here, <laughs> um, but now is the CEO and founder of the Robnet Consulting Group. My guest today, Paige Robnet. Paige, how are you today? Hi, David. I'm so excited to be here. I'm- this is a thrill. I'm happy to have you here today, uh, vir- virtually, of course, but yes. uh, lo- love having the the opportunity to chat with you. So first question that every guest gets, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Definitely wanted to be a teacher. My brother and sister will tell you that like playing growing up as kids, like, I we played school. How, I mean, that's as an older sister. I have a lot to make up for later in life, but yeah, (laughs) wanted to be a teacher and how wild to think that I am doing that, but in a very non-traditional way. Yeah. Did did you have family members that were teachers or was it just something that you're like, this seems cool? No, I didn't have family members that were teachers. I just loved, oh, what a nerdy response. I loved learning. I also loved being in charge. And I love, I mean, teachers, when you're growing up, right, like they are in charge. I was like, that really mm-hmm. appeals to me. So it all now reflecting on it, it all just kind of makes sense how we, I got here. <laughs> well, we love nerdy answers here at the Doing Cool Things podcast. So fits right in. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So you uh, are the founder of your own consulting group. Yep. Can you tell our listeners, what does that mean? <laughs> What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing as a founder of my own company, one thing that I have gotten really comfortable with is many days not knowing mm-hmm. what it means. Uh, yesterday, it meant uh, moving everything out of my to-do list to focus on invoices in finance. Like every day is a surprise. Every day I'm learning something new. But most days when my to-do list is not um, shifted around by finances, it's really focusing on helping leaders become better leaders and helping organizations become more diverse and equitable and inclusive. So I, I have been very busy the past couple of years, as you can imagine. Uh, Absolutely. And so you founded your company in the, in the midst of the pandemic. Is that right? Oh yeah. I, um, the, the story goes, or I guess how I would summarize it was I was working for a small DEI consulting firm, um, for a couple of years and loved it. Although there were some things that, that didn't really work for me, but I wasn't really ready to admit it to myself. And then March of 2020 hit. And I think we all remember where we were at that moment in time, but DEI work virtually stopped. I mean, we we lost the majority of our client work and uh, the company I was working for made some real pivots. So I was a part of the team that created our whole line of assessment and strategy and consulting work and organizations slashed their budgets. So I got laid off. My partner, another Denison grad, um, started his first job working in the ICU March of 2020. We adopted a puppy named Denny. Um, Shout out. Uh, We decided to not cancel our June 2020 uh, wedding, but instead get married via Zoom. And after I got laid off, I started my own business. All within two months. So that period of time, uh, yeah, is pretty unforgettable for me. That, yeah, I'll say that. Well, classic COVID story, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Oh, put Not all in two months, right? No. Everybody <laughs> has their own version of that wow. story. That's just fine. That is a wild story. That is a wild two months. Like if you do like any of those things in a two month period, like it's a busy two months, but to throw them all into that same period, like that's a lot. How did you navigate that uncertainty uh, of everything? Oh, or I... 
the the real answer, the honest answer is not well. No. <laughs> the, the 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 I mean the deeper answer yeah. is the, the word that's coming up for me is community of practice mm. or the phrase, right? It is and I I wouldn't just tell the story on a Denison related podcast, but it's the truth. My community showed up for me in ways that I I couldn't have even imagined. And not just with our Zoom wedding or, you know, for my partner working in the hospital during COVID, but for starting my own business, I mean, my basketball coach at Denison, who at the time was still Denison, uh, women's basketball coach, was one of the first people to call me and say, we want to work with you. The first person to hire me, my own company, was played uh, men's basketball for Denison. I mean, I so many Denison uh, former uh, teammates or classmates or administrators really like carried me during that time, and and not just Denison people too, other other former colleagues and uh, leaders I had, and and that's the real reason I was able to build this business from scratch. Yeah, and it it seems like too like people. We, we talk a lot here with students as just as far as like networking, uh, the network that you're building now, even from day one at Denison will continue throughout your career. And like, that's a real example of that community just is always there um, and can be of, of value both ways, really, because obviously they they wouldn't have come back into your world without thinking that your work was of value and that you could do a great job and, and contribute meaningfully to them as well. Oh, yeah. And if an alumni told me this as a student, I would have rolled my eyes, right? But I genuinely, for any student listening to this, like, think about, think about the person that you're like sitting across from at the dining hall or in class, because those people have come out of the woodwork on LinkedIn uh, at different points of my life and said, like, hey, I know we weren't close at Denison, but like I've got an opportunity for you or I could use your help for something or can you help me with something? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah, so talking about your work, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work, obviously super important work, but what, is, what does DEI mean to you personally? Yeah, thanks for asking. It One of the challenges is it means a lot of different things to different people. The way that I describe it to the leaders I work with who whether they're skeptical or maybe mm -hmm. they're nervous or maybe they're really excited about it. At fundamentally, I believe DEI work humanizes people. And that's that's one of the power powers of it. Um, what it asks any person to do, particularly those who hold the most power in any given space, is it asks people to center those who have been excluded historically, or who, those who are at the margins in any given space. And centering means like you're finding creative ways to build trust with them, to share power with them, to share, to use power with them. It asks you to get really creative. Um, and that makes work, it makes life more joyful when we're able to do that. Was there a moment in time that stands out to you that you decided like, I'm going to make this my life's mission or was it an evolution over time that like, this is an important part of my journey and I want to help others with that? Wow. I, you know, when I look back on it, I'm not, I'm not surprised that I've yeah. gotten to this point. I think I, you know, I was a women's studies major at Denison. I remember calling my parents and they immediately, their response was, you're never going to get a job. <laughs> and I did it anyways, right? Because the women's studies classes at Denison, I was so excited about and interested in talking about power and privilege and intersectionality and identity and equity, right? I, I, fairness is one of my values. So I, I, but there was never one moment I thought when I graduated Denison, I would work at nonprofits for the rest of my life. I even went to grad school for nonprofit yep. management. So anyone listening on the call, you can pivot at any moment. 
And anything you do is not wasted experience because the majority of my clients right now are nonprofits. So I have great insight into the challenges that they are experiencing. But the fact that I found DEI as a career path, hmm. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Are there any classes that stick out to you as being particularly impactful or any professors that uh, or their mentorship was important to you through the process? Oh my gosh, Dr. Kurtz, the communications classes were was, was just such a wonderful pairing to women's studies and talking about uh, talking about power and privilege and getting to intersect that with talking about sports. Oh my gosh, or talking about you know how it intersects in the media. I I mean, sports are were ruined for me after the cl that class, but in the best way, right? Because I'm not <laughs> able to look at them without analyzing them through the lens of power, um, but in a really wonderful way. And so much of what I do, you know, I owe to those classes. And and huge shout out to Dr. Kurtz because that was a huge part of my development. I I feel like I have a, a whole line of questioning as far as like sports go, but that's not really the subject of this particular <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, we can talk uh, offline. That, right. Absolutely. So um, yeah, no, that, I mean, to be able to feel like you're getting that support through those classes, to be able to see two majors really come together that way. Uh, really, really interesting to see um, just the value that those two things brought to each other. Uh, what any other experiences on campus, whether it was through sports? I know you, you know, you said you played on the women's basketball team, uh, involved in Greek life, involved in some other things on campus. I, what what other experiences impacted that journey? I well, I want to hold on to that beautiful question because I'm so excited to nerd out about mm. it, but I don't want to forget as I'm yeah. reflecting on those communications classes, right? Yeah. So, it, and this is. I bring this into the work that I do every single day. A lot of times in the women's studies classes, and not always, people would share dissenting opinions and be critical mm -hmm. thinkers, right? It was a, a gift. But the communications classes challenged me because I was bringing in what I was learning from women's studies classes. And I was oftentimes in the class with people with different, not only different lived experience, but mm -hmm. different worldviews. A lot of times I was in those classes with people who didn't agree with, you know, what I was learning and, and what is important to me around fairness and equity. And so it, it, that is, when I think about the biggest challenge that I have in front of me as a DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, and as a leadership coach, it's navigating skeptical people who who range from not caring about DEI at all to performative, like pretending to care to people who understand that this is foundational to not only good effective leadership, but like improving the performance of their overall business. So it's a range and having that experience at Denison of being able to build bridges across difference and find some mutual point of understanding that is something that's just invaluable yeah that um i forget your other question no i well Sorry. that so that i was about to go down a whole other line there just based on something you said as far as uh uh we, we'll circle back around to like the okay. other involvement on campus but oh that, yeah involvement on campus yeah okay. the, the the portion there that you mentioned especially like the the performative there uh one of the questions i wanted to, to chat with you about was um, yeah, how do you make, how would you recommend a student, uh, maybe, or even another alum could just be anybody that's on the, on the job market, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's really easy for, um, whoever's on the, the marketing or PR team to put that they care online, but ultimately words are just that words and, and those do have power and those are important, but how do you know if an organization really cares? How do you help, you know, bring that out, um, in the work that you're doing and how would you recommend others do it? Classic six part question. I, you folks listening to this, you can't see, but I'm smiling because mm -hmm. I am talking to every single one of my clients about this right now, because oftentimes what I see or hear in terms of what they think they need to be doing is starting first with that external statement, what are we putting on our website and what are we sharing on social media? And um, 
I also see a lot of organizations start with big, flashy, fancy, all staff meetings. You know, what is going to make the biggest splash? And those are all the things that I would strongly, strongly ask people to reconsider. Just when you're thinking about good, effective DEI change and transformation requires uh, leaders, professionals with skill sets in organizational development, in change management, and change management research and best practices will tell you that good, effective, authentic change starts first. The most important thing that you need is true, authentic, unwavering buy-in from leaders. And that is not easy. That is not a simple check the box. Mm -mm. That takes years, not always, but many times. And starting there and building a foundation, I would say if you're looking at it, if an organization is really serious about DEI, ask them what are all the non-sexy, boring things that you are doing to advance DEI? That is the secret sauce the project management behind the scenes, the leadership trainings, the trainings with supervisors, the internal vision that they've created for DEI where they've asked groups who have been historically excluded to inform that vision. And then the resharing of that vision until every single staff member internalizes it. All of that stuff the goals, having having like a tracker of your strategy and following through on that, metrics, that kind of stuff is what moves the needle over the, the next couple of years. Uh, a social media statement without any of that backing is a PR crisis waiting to happen. Yeah, it, um, th those metrics, I'm curious about those, like of the clients that you're you're working with or have worked with in the past, Where what are the most effective metrics to like actually tracking some of that change and ensuring that, um, you know, the workplace is changing for the better. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I wish I could talk to you every week because the nerding out about this is so fun. If there's anyone listening to this that wants to nerd out about it, let's go. Right. Like, just give me a, give me a call. Um, there are so, there are endless metrics. Yeah. There are so many metrics. If you, if folks treat DEI like they would any other area of their business, we would be light years ahead of where we are. Because if you're thinking about like, how do you create a marketing strategy? How do you create a strategy to launch a new product, right? You have metrics to understand if and how you're successful. Same thing with DEI. And there are different metrics for diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So inclusion is really about actions and behaviors that make people feel valued, respected, welcomed, all of those wonderful things that make us enjoy work. Equity is about fairness, right? How well do you have um, fairness to opportunities, to advance, to get um, assigned to new projects, all different types of things. And then diversity, right? That's looking at the demographics. That's looking at representation and you can, none of these are mutually exclusive, right? You need the diversity demographics to look at equity and inclusion metrics. They all support each other. But I think that's the first misconception is that people think they're all one in the same and they're very different. And that takes work, that takes resources, that takes effort to track those. But just like you would, again, any other area of your business, you put some resources to it. I just last week, I was so proud. Um, one of my clients I've been working with for two and a half years presented at an all staff. And this was a, a client when I first started working with them. I mean, I'd be gripping my desk nerves. My leg would be shaking under the table because this staff treated these all staff meetings like a press conference. Like they were, the, we were in a trust deficit when I entered this partnership. Two and a half years later, we just did a pulse survey it, the numbers jumped from, I think, on average, it was around a 55% of staff agree that they trust senior leadership, that they think senior leadership is authentic about DEI, that they can share a dissenting opinion, opinion without fear of getting punished. We just moved those up to, on average, 88% of staff. Wow. 
believe. So there are metrics where you, now we got a long way to go, but holy crap. Yeah. That is, that is real progress. And I'm in those staff meetings and now people, you know, video on, <laughs> people are sharing, you know, asking questions. It's a different culture, but that's, yeah, there's, there's so many ways to measure it. It, it takes time. It takes resources. Yeah. How, how do you measure trust? What type of questions do you tend to answer uh, or tend to ask as far as that goes? I, I talk, the two things I talk most about in my work, trust and power in DEI work. So first, if there are anybody's interested in DEI on this call, doing a deep dive into the observable behaviors around trust can be one mm -hmm. of the most effective things that you do. There are lots of trust frameworks out there. I prefer or really rely on um, Brene Brown's braving framework, where she actually pulls out her research has informed specific observable behaviors that lead to trust. And that's what I typically recommend to my clients that they use to measure progress using those, because trust is so theoretical, right? When you get to the observable behaviors, you can survey people. You can, I, last week I facilitated, not only did I survey people, but I also did some listening sessions with staff where I asked about the very specific behaviors that lead to trust. So respect and vulnerability and your ability to set boundaries and you can measure those and progress around those over time uh when you're working with a client what no there's probably not a perfect answer to this where's the general starting point i my answer to that would be you have to know where you are before you figure out mm. where you want to go, which is I, probably 101. And yet, yeah. even though maybe it seems like common sense, the majority of my clients, when I start a partnership with them, they're, they're experiencing so much stress and overwhelm and pressure externally and internally from their staff that it's, it's, that's not logical. They're like, we need to here, we need to launch these amount of trainings. We need to bring this keynote speaker in and we have to have a book club and don't forget about the social media statement. And one of the, the client I referenced before where it was like 55% trust yeah. scores. I mean, there, there, it was low trust in the organization. They had an action plan with 35 different actions that they were doing in 2021. I was exhausted for them, meeting them for the first time. I mean, that's the quickest way to burn yourself out, right? So I would recommend taking a breath, giving yourself some kudos for embarking on this effort because that takes yeah. courage. And then slowing down to survey your people, to look at previous surveys, to hire a third party to do some focus groups or listening sessions to talk to people with and without power in the organization, know where you are, where the barriers are, what's going well that you can build on where the key opportunities are and use that information to create a vision of where you want to go. And then let's have the fun conversation of what are the different things that you can do to get there. And hopefully not 35 different <laughs> without burning yourself out. <laughs> it's important that you still be able to do the you know your your day job and like bring people you know have people at 100 percent or as close as they can be on any given day um totally. so um when when you're working with clients what, what do you look for in clients uh what makes a good client uh in your view yeah i will first i will i, I will be honest mm -hmm. with you and the people listening, right? When I was first starting out, didn't have much criteria. Sure. The, when I was first starting out, it was, can you pay me? Yeah, and well, the check's clear. <laughs> doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter what it is, like, let's go. Now it is a very privileged space that I am in now, mm -hmm. a couple years in where now I have criteria, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, and, and, it takes, it, and it takes time um, to be able to build that. I would say probably two main things. One, I want to make sure I ask a lot of questions to clients to really ensure that 
they understand what we had talked about previously around what meaningful, real DEI work is and what it isn't. If you are looking for flashy keynotes or all staff meetings, if you're looking for performative DEI, I am not your girl. I, I don't do that work. I Integrity is really important to me. So I make sure, I also make sure that they understand my values, the values of Robnet Consulting. Um, and I also make sure that we are a good fit work-wise. Mm -hmm. One thing that I will no longer do is shrink myself to make other people feel comfortable. That is the reason mm -hmm. why I, one of the reasons why I started my own business after the initial shock of getting laid off and like, can I do this? Okay. It's, it's the reason why I don't think I will ever go back to working internal somewhere. I have, I'm neurodivergent, so I have ADHD and OCD. The traditional workplace was not designed for people with my type of brain. And so I've gotten a lot of feedback over the years around your your enthusiasm is off-putting or your too, your need for structure is holding the team back or, you know, you're too, you're too this, you're too that. It was all kind of personality based and sure. not really about my work product. And I'm, I'm done shrinking myself. And I, I tend to work with others who are also done shrinking themselves and want to work if you like my personality, great, let's work together. If you don't like pers my personality, I'm going to create great work product for you. But if you want me to change my personality, I'm not your girl. Good for you. That's fantastic. I love that students can hear that. And it's taken me a while to get there. And I do want students to hear, right? That was not the case when I right. first started. I had yeah. to say yes to some things. I didn't have to, but I did say yes to some things to build my brand, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. make money and live that I wouldn't say yes to now. And that's okay. I mean, it, from me, Paige, yeah. I, I think that's okay. That's real. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, I, I do question the feedback that you got though. It seems weird to me that people would want to bring in a consultant that's not enthusiastic or structured, but hey, what do I know? <laughs> you, to your point, that's the things that my clients when I ask for feedback, right. Yeah. And I ask for, or a testimonial, like that's the thing that I hear of thank goodness. Like DEI is really hard work mm -hmm. as it should be. It is emotional work. It is draining work, but like it, what I offer is I bring some seriousness mm -hmm. to it. But I also bring some joy mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing that I'm celebrated for. And I wasn't always celebrated for that when I had internal roles and mm -hmm. it, it, so I've, I have found or carved out a path for me that, that works. Yeah. Some people are energy givers. Some people are energy takers. Some seems like you're a giver in that, in that regard and bringing that to the organization and allowing them to, to have that enthusiasm as well. I tried when I'm, when I'm allowed to thrive, it, it, when you asked about like, what is DEI work? Another yeah. way to think about it is DEI work allows, creates different pathways, opportunities, resources for every single person in the organization to thrive, regardless of their lived experience or their role or where they're starting from. And when I thrive, I can be, you know, I can pause a Zoom meeting and bring in a dance party or like I, I can be my full self. And that is my wish for every other person I work with. Mm -hmm. It, it seems like it's a weird thing to say. You almost want to put yourself out of business one day. 100%. Right. That would be such a dream. It'd be just wonderful for everybody. It would be so wonderful. And I've got, listen, I've got other talents. I'll, I'll yeah, you're right. But yeah, someone else will pay you for something. That, like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would be great to put myself out of business. Yeah. So, um, going, going back to the, I guess the, you know, the origin story, so to speak, and your, your time on campus or some of those extracurriculars that, uh, really helped also impact your career journey. Thanks for, for bringing mm -hmm. us back to that. I, well, I gotta give it out a shout out to coach Lee, um, former women's basketball mm -hmm. coach of Denison and my teammates. Um, 
I played basketball. Let's let's get real. I, I was really talent was lacking heart and spirit and enthusiasm was where I shined. So I played basketball for two years, but those teammates, Coach Lee, they're my family. And a lot, I, I find myself in the DEI work I do and the work I do with clients, I am chasing that sense of belonging that I experienced while playing basketball, growing up while playing basketball at, at Denison. And I want that for, there is no reason why our organizations that we work with cannot foster a similar sense of belonging. It takes creativity, but you're going through adversity in your organization, just like you are on a sports team. You're on teams. You have to communicate creatively, mm -hmm. all of those things. So that, I mean, fundamentally, that is when I think about Denison, I, I cherish my, my teammates, but there were so many other experiences too. I need students to know that I got my first job where I wasn't an intern because of this incredible interview question I was asked. Um, tell me about a time where you marketed an event creatively. And I was able to talk about planning the D-Day concert and creating a lip dub with, I think, more than 100 students, right, participated in this. We filmed it in Mitchell. And we had all different types of students on campus, different campus clubs and sports teams and it, it, students represented. And we, got, we broke a record. I can't remember the number, but it was the most students ever to attend the D-Day concert. And that was something June orientation, August orientation, really any opportunity to build bridges across difference with different and gather and convene different types of people. That is like what I think about when I think about Denison. Was that, was that your position with the American Association of University Women? You got it. Yeah. Yep. That's, <laughs> there, and, there's still an article on the Denison webpage that you can find on that. So you did your research. Oh yeah. That's that. Like I said, we're all about the nerdiness here. Yeah. Doing cool things <laughs> HQ. So let your inner <laughs> That's nerd right. shine. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. So women's advocacy, right? And shout out to my friend Allie Kalina, mm -hmm. um, fellow business owner. Mm -hmm. Allie started a campus chapter of the American Association of University of Women. And when I was miserable in my first corporate job, I won't name names, but I was spending my lunch hour on their website thinking about the equal pay rally that we held on campus and thinking about women's advocacy and sent them an email with picture, like in with my resume, I sent pictures of the equal pay day rally from Denison's campus with my application, which was a choice, but it worked. I, I wouldn't necessarily yeah. recommend that. It was the right audience. I guess so. Know your audience. <laughs> I think what I'm getting at, even as I reflect on this, is for folks listening, current students, your Denison experience can literally be the thing that will get you that first internship mm -hmm. that will lead you to that first job, right? The more you can quantify, I was able to share at the time, I remembered the numbers, the exact, I was able to quantify the impact we had with that D-Day um, concert with the number of people that attended the equal payday rally, right? You can really use that to translate the impact you will have in a future workplace. It's really cool. Yeah. That's well. And I loved seeing that organization on there just because, uh, the start smart, um, uh, salary negotiation workshop we, we use as part of, um, our career readiness boot camp that happens over the winter for seniors. Yeah. It's such a great, um, connection points and yeah. especially as you know you hear a lot of like I'm applying for these entry-level roles they're asking for three years experience how do I get experience without experience these, these are the things that I'm not going to say everyone will count that as experience but most people will especially when you can quantify it especially we can you can show the impact um, just knowing how and where you've made a difference and proving that to the person Yep. make can make all the difference in the world um uh, kind of as, as your story is so i i yep. won't make you name names but you did say before that you had an experience that was less than stellar as far as like your career path's concerned uh i think that's a good thing for 
folks to know though too is like your first step's not always the right step often this process is just about finding what you don't like so you can move on to to the next thing try something new uh what were the things about that experience that made you say oh maybe oh, not cringing. right no, I'm cringing <laughs> if you're talking about this because i'm like it's such a visceral reaction yeah Again, if I were a student and I heard this, I would roll my eyes. But for real, I, 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 it is the truth. Listen to your gut. Yeah. And it's that's. Mm -hmm. I know that phrase gets used a lot, but like I have mm -hmm. learned to listen mm -hmm. to my body so much more. I use it with clients mm -hmm. too. Like if my heart is starting to race when mm -hmm. a CEO is starting to yell, right? I will share my my mm -hmm. my heart is racing as you're talking to, you can't argue with that. So like, listen to your body when it tells you, and, and maybe something might be off. I had a, I, I was supposed to lead, um, co-lead June orientation right after graduation, which my heart was in. And I thought the right thing to do, I'm using air quotes, was to take this corporate internship. And I was, the Monday after graduation, I was sitting in a room full of a thousand people at 8 a.m. onboarding Monday morning. And I was just thinking to myself, I've made a huge mistake. And it's that is I, there were a, a lot of Denison mm -hmm. folks have gone through an organization like that or really thrive in that environment. And that works for them. I just really wish I would have followed my heart and, oh, that's so cheesy to say, but it's true. <laughs> and Mark Muller, who was in charge of June orientation back then, I'm so sorry. I deeply regret it. Right. But that's, I, you know, some people say like, I live life with no regrets. Like I'm very honest about things that I regret, but it's all learning, right? I will way pay attention to my gut and what excites me and what I'm energized by mm -hmm. moving forward. And guess what? That that company, I learned a lot and it led to something else. So no experience, even if it's the wrong one, is a bad one. Right. And it's normal just at that point in life too, I think, to step into something and just say, this isn't for me. It's not that you aren't embracing the challenge or can't take it on, but until you see it, until it's real, it's hard to know what it's going to be like. Um, totally. I thought my first job was going to be like my dream job, which because it was in sports and I love sports and turns out I don't like writing about sports at night and not being a fan and like making it my job. Um, the only exception would ever be golf. Like just put me on a golf course. I'll be fine. But um, well, it's like, Lesson it, to learn. yeah, until I did it, I would have had no idea and, there you and go. that's okay. So um, thinking about those initial steps. So you take, step from the internship into your um, role then with the American Association of University Women. Um, how are you evaluating career moves early in your career beyond those first two steps? Like what, when did you start really thinking about it more so from, uh, I don't want to say like an adult perspective, that sounds weird, but like, when did you start thinking about like, this is more of a lifestyle than just a professional choice? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking about the first question you asked, right? <laughs> and there's not only did I love being like teaching people, mm -hmm. um, but I also really loved being in charge as a kid. And that is just me. That is just who I am. I love being on a team. Mm -hmm. I also thrive on a team. But when you are 23, 24, unless you've already started your own business, and I know quite a few of Denison students that have already started their own businesses, you are not in charge most times. And that was a challenge for me because I had a lot of ideas and a lot of ways to improve efficiencies mm -hmm. at a nonprofit that was founded in 1881. And not many of them were well-received, right? Like I was very naive to power dynamics and mm -hmm the relation relational power and and some of the again like i would say more biased uh requirements to get things done in an organization 
And I also wasn't down with working. I, I wanted things to be more equitable. I would, that's how I would summarize it. So those early years were wonderful and energizing and incredibly frustrating all at the same time. But again, it's even the negative experiences all lead to something else because, you know, I went, I went to grad school for nonprofit management, wanting to make nonprofits mm -hmm. run better. And it was during that time I learned about DEI as an industry and I made a pivot, learned about change management. So everything leads to something else. I, I would never, when I think about the pandemic, I don't know if I would have started my own business if it sure. wasn't for getting laid off. I wouldn't say I'm grateful for getting laid off. I hope no one experiences that. That's a really rough thing to experience. But at the same time, I really don't know if I ever would have been pushed in any other way to bet on myself <laughs> and try something new and build a system that I'm proud of and that I'm proud to participate in. So lots of ups and downs, but you, I've learned something from every single job opportunity mm -hmm. that I've had. What are you most proud of in your career and in the work that you do now? A beautiful question. It, it might be recency bias, but I want to highlight that example that I shared about the organization I've been working with for two and a half years, that being able to support leaders in an organization, to support staff in an organization and do it with integrity and gently yet honestly push back to a lot of the practices that I felt were harmful in their organization and be honest and direct with feedback while also holding space for how hard DEI work is and how hard behavior change work is, to be able to see measurable improvements and not just see it in a pulse survey, but actually hear from staff how their day-to-day -day experience has changed. I am really proud of sticking with that, especially when, when I first started with that client. I mean, I would cry after some client calls because it was so intense and conversations around DEI were just so heated because you're talking about people's, it's leaders who invest in mm -hmm. DEI, right? They, they, they know it's the right thing to do. That's why they're investing in it. And yet they're hearing their behavior needs to change. Mm -hmm. And that is really disruptive with, but I'm a good person, right? That is your core identity and your values being challenged. So I'm proud that I stuck through it again with integrity and didn't just take the easy way out and do, you know, the social media posts or that, that web post that you were talking about. Like we did the boring DEI work mm -hmm. and it's starting to pay off. And we'll have meaningful. It will just be meaningful to the people that live it for however long they're there and hopefully well beyond too. They'll tell you to other organizations and it just continues to grow from there. That's what this work is all about. This might be a controversial mm -hmm. opinion and I'd love to have conversation with Denison mm -hmm. alums mm -hmm. or students around mm -hmm. this. But when I think about when we're doing like organizational DEI work, I really try to coach my clients and remind them that we are not trying to end systemic racism with this particular mm -hmm. DEI effort. I am all for ending and disrupting all of the isms, right? Let's let's really be focused on systemic oppression. And yet, what are these specific organizations trying to do? What's within their power or sphere of influence for your average nonprofit, right? Ending systemic racism or sexism or homophobia across the world probably not within their sphere of influence. What is in their sphere of influence is helping women, non-binary mm -hmm. folks, mm -hmm. neurodivergent people, people of color, people living with disabilities, right? Like helping those people have more fulfilling lives, more joyful lives, make more money, making marginal improvements for people who have been historically excluded at those organizations. And 
that can change people's lives. So the thing about what you just said, um, especially the sphere of influence, um, for those listening, how, how would you challenge them to impact their sphere of influence? I love that question. The word that's coming up for me is power. And I know <laughs> I've talked about power quite a bit throughout our conversation. Every single one of us hold some amount of power and we various levels at different times in our life, things can be changing. And I'm not just talking about like our identity power um, and whether they're visible or, or invisible. Right. So like David, as a white man, you get on the zoom with me, you hold power already just in society. Right. Because of the majority, right? Like <laughs> systems were designed with you in mind. Um, as a white person, me, myself, I also come onto Zoom or enter spaces with just how unearned power already given to me. There's a lot of different types of power and that's important. And we need to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. and we need to have conversations about that more. It doesn't mean we're bad or good for having that, but how do we use that or, or uh, you and use that power for good? so many different types of power that we don't talk about, right? Personality power. If people that are more charismatic, how can they use those power to impact the sphere of influence? And you can do that when you are 22 years old in your first job out of Denison, right? You can relationships power. It is, I, look, David, I have worked really, I'd be the first one to say I worked really hard in starting my business. Um, and at the same time, I would be lying if I didn't say the relationships that I have, that my parents had, those have absolutely helped me be successful the past couple of years. My biggest client here in Michigan, mm -hmm. I got connected to her from my dad's best friend from college. Mm -hmm. And my dad was you know, able to go to college, right? There's so many layers of, of advantages, unearned advantages that mm -hmm. I have because of that even the ability to, to afford Denison, mm -hmm. my parents paid for my education. All those people I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation helped me um, start my business, access to Denison's resources. So relationships power, um, there's information power, mm -hmm. how we share information. One of my clients last week, I was like, you were hearing in this, in survey feedback that leaders are hoarding power and information. And some of the examples I'm getting from staff are, you refuse to CC them on an email, right? Like this is micro stuff, but that type of action, you don't have to be, you don't have to have positional power to right. copy someone on an email. So there's, there's, if we get really creative and more comfortable talking about mm -hmm. power, mm -hmm. DEI will change in our organizations over time. I know it's, uh, I don't want to like, use my experience here or the example that I'm going to go to, to like diminish anything, because I know it feels relatively small in the grand scheme of things. I remember in college. Um, so I guess I should say as the, the guy with the microphone that has no problem talking in any situation, <laughs> um, I had for better and mostly for worse, um, I had a friend tell me after talking to somebody that they were like, kind of hurt my feelings that you didn't introduce me. And it hadn't even crossed my mind because I've never had any problem just introducing myself. And that moment has stuck with me now for, I don't know, what is that? More than a decade now, as far as that is a small piece of power that I didn't realize I held as far as like, I can just bring somebody into the conversation and using that both literally and like metaphorically and just bring somebody into the conversation. I hope that helps. I'm not going to say I'm going to change the world by any stretch, but it gave me just such an, like a, a reality check to, Oh, this small thing that I don't even think of was super powerful for super powerful for that person. I, those micro moments, mm -hmm trust is built in the smallest of moments. And I, that is not a page quote. That is, I'm forgetting who said that, right. But that is, mm -hmm. that's how those behaviors, the way mm -hmm. that you share power 
or or give up some type of power, whatever it is creatively, that's how you build trust. Last person, words of wisdom. Is that it? Or is there something else that you would like to share uh, with our students? This has been so fun. Um, What is my last piece of advice? I don't want, please cut this part out, but it's just so interesting. It's such a beautiful question. It's like, how often do students get the advice around like, these are the best four years, like don't, <laughs> no. I hope these aren't the best four years of your Same, life. right? <laughs> actually, part in. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I really hope that's actually what I want to say. This, a lot of people told me that these are the best four years of your life. And I really sincerely hope that they are not right? Mm -hmm. I cherish, I met my partner at Denison. I just gave the toast at my best friend's wedding. She was my roommate at June orientation. Um, my dog's name is Denny. I already said that, right? Like I loved Denison and yet they're so, I'm so excited for students that get to leave this and know that and not everybody has a great venison experience. Sure. Everybody's experience is different. And, and yet know that these denison connections, they can open up doors that, again, you may not even be dreaming of as a denison student, like how I never, ever thought I would have the dream of owning my own business. I never had a dream of being a DEI consultant and coach at denison. So keep an open mind and know like you're moving to a new city. When I moved to DC, my entire network there were Denison people of all different class years. I knew none of them at Denison. We were friends. Like you, there is such an amazing world waiting for you post Denison. And if myself or another alum can be helpful to you in that journey, please reach out because um, so many people have done the same for me. Fantastic though. And I will leave that part in because I think it's absolutely true. Like you should be an awesome four years. There's so many things here, but you're not a finished product. Life's got a lot more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So very good. Well, Paige, I totally so appreciate your time uh, and your thoughts today. It was awesome to be able to to learn so much more about what you do, uh, how you got there. Uh, I'm really excited um, to con- just continue that conversation and, you know, hopefully find ways to always be looking to influence that sphere around myself and others. And and um, just like I said, love, love the work that you're doing. Really appreciate it and uh, hope Thank to uh, continue the conversation soon. It was so lovely to meet you, David. And thanks for being so curious. And like, it's really fun to reflect on all this stuff. I'm like working, working, working. I'm like, oh, I don't take a moment to... Like, how do I really feel about that? Or what is, you know, what would I say to that? So I just, it's been really fun. And I thank you for all that you do for students and alums. Well, really, you know, can't can't do this work without those students and alums. They're, they're the superstars here. So thank you so much for everything. And uh, oh, listeners, in the meantime, keep on doing cool things. <laughs>